0: Today is the fifth part of this series called Heart Talk, and I'm going to ask you just really briefly, are you starting to pay attention to your words more? If you're at least gaining traction in that, then I would say that this is starting to be a successful series in your life. Are you starting to pay attention to your words a little bit more? Are you aware of your words And are you starting to speak a little bit less? I'm telling you, that's the key. Speak less. Pause before you speak. Examine the value of your words. And today we're going to see, are those words about to bring life or are they going to bring death? Well, if you're open to Proverbs chapter 18, we're going to look at verses 20 through 21. I'm going to read that that couplet of verses in just a moment. But let me just tell you a little bit about Proverbs. It's a collection of wisdom sayings. The majority of them were written by Solomon. He learned a lot of them from David. You can see a lot of these in the Psalms that David wrote. And it's likely that Solomon is, has taught them to his own sons. But these Proverbs, these wise sayings, Did you know this? They were also taught to young men in Israel who were being trained to serve the king in his courts. So there's the gospel buy-in. There's the connection. Proverbs is a book that will train the sons and daughters of the king... Of God to be able to serve in his kingdom. This is why you should be in the book of Proverbs routinely and regularly. They are wisdom sayings. One person called them portable wisdom. It's wisdom for on the go. They fit into every sector of life. So Proverbs is a book of wisdom sayings that meets every situation you will ever find yourself in, and it provides the power for you and for me to live in a way that's very pleasing to our king and very satisfying to ourselves. All right, that little introduction, let's get right into it. This is Proverbs chapter 18. I'm going to read the two verses. We're going to unpack them in two points, and then I'm going to give you lots of application, four of them. Here's what it says in verse 20. Can you all follow with me? I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, and so for that reason, I put it on the screen. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I'm going to break it down in two ways, and then I'm going to give you four applications. First is this. Our words can bring us great satisfaction. For a lot of us, that's going to be a little bit different way of reading this than we're used to. So I'm going to tell you what it is again, and then I'm going to explain it. Our words can bring us great satisfaction. I'm going to personalize it for a moment. Your words can bring you great satisfaction. Verse 20, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Look at the three times you've got his he in his. So again, I'm going to tell you the point. Your words can bring you great satisfaction. But let me tell you why the two verses can't be taken apart. They've got to be combined, verse 20 and 21. Look at the phrase, fruit of a man's mouth. And again in verse 20, yield of his lips. And then verse 21, power of the tongue, And then finally, eat its fruits. All of those tie these two verses together. And they're all talking about our speech. They're all talking about the way we speak. And Solomon is using an agricultural metaphor. By the way, Israel was an agrarian society, meaning that they were mostly farmers. Probably most of us, if not just about all of us, are not, and have, n- have never been farmers. So we've got to kind of bring in the agrarian mindset. Solomon is talking about agriculture, and he uses the metaphors fruit and yield. That means harvest. So he's talking about our words, our seeds that get planted in the soil of hearts, And it can bring out a harvest. And that harvest, verse 21, is either going to be life or death. Good plants or bad plants. This is where he's going to be going with this. And just as seeds can be planted in the soil of the ground, grow and produce, they do a harvest that satisfies your physical stomach. Solomon's saying this, now, this is amazing. Your words can be planted in the soil of the heart, and they can satisfy your own soul. Now, most of us never look at it like that. We're always used to thinking about how our words impact other people. And that is a lot of Scripture. A lot of the Bible talks about that. Here, Solomon is saying, no, 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 this is a different trajectory. Your words are going to impact your own life. They're either going to lead you to death or they're going to lead you to life. They're going to give you a life worth living or a life not worth living. That's the power of our words. So my words can bring me satisfaction. Your words can bring you satisfaction. Look at verse 20. It is the speaker who is satisfied, who is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Now I'm kind of recycling this or I'm repeating this repetition is the mother of learning. I'm trying to get you to see what we don't normally see in these verses. Solomon's talking about the speaker being satisfied by his own words. And again, we're used to probably reading this as our words can bring satisfaction to someone else, and that is certainly true and it they do. But again, Solomon is talking about the one who is speaking is the one who is satisfied. Now, let's just get a little bit of a notation for the Hebrew word that we translate satisfied. Look at verse 20. You see it in there? It means full, as in you ate until you were satisfied. You were full, you couldn't eat another bite. This actually means overfull where you know how you eat such a big meal that you're like so uncomfortable you can't even sit comfortably you can't you have to stand it's that kind of overfulness that is in the word satisfied so Solomon's saying that we can speak in such a way that will absolutely cause you to overflow with satisfaction now you want that I want that we all want that who doesn't want that Make your words good, the CEV translation goes. Make your words good, you will be glad you did. That's how verse 20 goes in the CEV. We are to speak in a way that is good for others, that is very true, for it will bring satisfaction to yourself as well. Now I'm going to say that again and we're going to go to point number two. We are to speak in a way... That is good for those who hear it, because in doing that, it's going to bring overflowing satisfaction into your own life. Now, let me make you think about a caution for just a moment, because a lot of our concerns as Christians are that, well, we can't be narcissistic, we can't be self-centered and self-focused, but I want to tell you something. God is supremely concerned about our happiness, I'm sorry if you grew up in a church where that was never preached and never taught. Like the best Christians are the most dour Christians. You go to church, you don't see people smile. I wouldn't want to be the pastor of that church. I wouldn't even want to attend that church. God is supremely concerned about our happiness. He wants your life full of joy. He wants your life full of satisfaction. Don't think for a moment God is a killjoy. That God enjoys you not having a happy life. This is why he gives so many commands. Every one of his commands are the pathway that by his grace, when you obey them, will fill your life with joy and peace. He wants your life full of joy, grounded in peace, and overflowing in satisfaction. If you don't know that about your God, can you borrow my faith on that for a moment and just take it for granted? Just for a moment, let that deeply embed in you at a later time, but I'm telling you, God wants your happiness, Did he not say that I, Jesus, I have come to give you life and life to the full? Not when you're dead. And you enter into paradise or eternal life in heaven now the moment you are saved jesus has given you life and he desires that you would have that life to the full parents you should be teaching this to your children if you're not god wants you to live life to the full he wants you overflowing with satisfaction and our words that we speak will have great influence how much satisfaction will be in your life. Point number two, our words have great power. Now, we're going to camp on this one a little bit more. Brennan Manning, who wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel, he wrote this, In every encounter, we either give life or we drain it. There is no neutral exchange. Now, take that into your workplace, because you talk to people all day. Take that into your schools and onto your teams. Take that into your neighborhoods and really, really take it into your families and take it into your church. Every single interchange and interaction you will ever have with anybody, you will either add life to them or you will drain it. There is no such thing as a neutral interaction. There's just not And Solomon is telling us that our words that we choose to speak generate power. They're not going to be neutral. He doesn't give you and he doesn't give me a third option. There's either death or life in our words. And he tells us this clearly. Look at verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The New Living Translation puts it this way. The tongue can bring either death or life. And again, I'm hammering this down because sometimes we've got to hear it again and again to get our eyes open. There's just not a third alternative. And you won't find one anywhere in the Bible. Either the way that we speak is going to bring life or the way that we speak is going to bring death. Now, do you understand if it has that kind of power? Can you imagine how many times we brought death to somebody? And can you hope for how many more times we can bring life? You know, preaching, if you've never done this, consists of a great deal of writing. And I believe one of the moments in my teenage years that God prepared me to preach one day, it happened in my 11th grade English class. My English teacher um, got pregnant. Her and her husband, they were expecting a child, so she took maternity leave. And for six months, a man came into our school system by the name of Edward Lawless. Ed Lawless, we called him Mr. Lawless. Mr. Lawless was fond of giving writing assignments, short-term writing assignments, like two or three pages long, and he gave them out every single week. We had to write, and I loved it. I thrived on it. And he would have me get up and read. I was one of the only ones in the class. that I would get up and he would have me read them in front of the class. And I took later that year my yearbook. And I don't know if you did this, but in our school we took our yearbooks and we went and had people sign them all the time. And a lot of our teachers did the same. And uh, they signed our yearbooks. And I will never forget this. Ed Lawless wrote in my yearbook, Tim you have a real ability to write. I hope you really develop that. You're gonna do great. You know what, I'm gonna tell you something. I probably read that that weekend about 100 times. It was like I couldn't read it enough. It just kept sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into my heart. And I'm gonna really tell you the truth and if you're a teacher, I hope you hear this soberly. You've got such power in your profession. You have such power for either life or death. I can tell you in my entire school career, I could probably only remember three teachers that spoke life into me. And Ed Lawless was one of them. And I will never forget that. Even to this day, I remember how he looked and I remember when he wrote it and I remember what he said. It just sunk deep into my heart. And this is what the Bible says is the power of our words. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, Proverbs 10, 11. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Words have great power. And they can bring life into people, but they can bring death as well. I'll give you an example. One Midrash, that's a Jewish um, teaching moment. One Jewish teaching moment said this, The evil tongue slays three the slanderer, the slandered, and the listener. Wow, that's pretty powerful. You speak evil to other people, it's going to bring evil into your soul. Who wants that? You speak good to other people, it's ultimately going to bring good into you. And we all want that. Whatever moral value your words have, that is the crop that you're going to harvest for yourself. And what we need to do is learn to evaluate what is the moral quality Of the seeds of my word. Because they're about to get planted into somebody's soil of their heart. And they're going to produce a crop. And will that crop be life or will that crop be death? If we can learn to pause before we speak, speak less, evaluate our words and see what harvest is going to be coming. That's the secret to this series. And the gospel gives us the power to do it. But we don't always speak life. I think one of the hardest contexts to continually speak life is in our own families. Years ago, I have four children, and years ago when my children were very small, we only had three at that time, somebody in the church invited us over for dinner. So me, unlike it seems a lot of you, I hate being late. Oh, that might have been death. I think I just spoke death. Uh, But it felt good. I hate being late. And my kids love to play. They played hard. And they played right up to the second that we had to get into the van to get somewhere. And finally, we were going to be late. And I'm like rushing them. I get them into the van. And we take off. And I'm determined to get there on time. took about 15 minutes. It's all the way from the other side of Palmer to Old Orchard. We got into our friend's driveway, and I'm unbuckling our children from their car seats, and my last child that I unbuckled, I noticed, had soaked the entire front of his sweatpants. He played, and he played, and he played, and he couldn't make it to the bathroom. I was furious, I began yelling at him, and even though, even through my anger, two things were were beginning, even in my anger, even in yelling to him, they were emerging, these two things, in clarity. Number one, I was angry because I was embarrassed at what our friends were going to think. And angry while, number two, something was visibly changing in my son's eyes. Still get emotional about that moment. My fathering was not gracious. I was shaming my son. All through that dinner, that's all I could think. My words had brought death. We get home that night. I'm putting him into bed. I just broke. I had to ask him to forgive me. I didn't say sorry. This one required forgiveness. And I asked him to forgive me. What I said was wrong. And it wasn't true of him. But that was a seed I can't extract from the soil of his heart. All I could do is fertilize that with love and grace. And I trust that I've been able to do that, at least hopefully successfully, by God's grace. But that's a seed you can't take back out. Our words will bring life, and our words will either bring life or they will bring death. Solomon gives another portable wise saying in Proverbs 12. It goes like this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So criticism and cutting remarks They demean people. They're like verbal razor blades. They slice the one who's hearing them. And if you've been the target of criticism, you know they have life-draining power. But wise speech is a salve. It's a life-giving balm of healing for others, and it brings joy to your life. Gossip. All gossip is is a slow death to someone's peace slander is a plot it is diabolical it is evil it's the attempt to ruin somebody else's life that's what slander is a critical tongue bleeds a life out of people lies hatch evil plans against people half truths are full lies don't delude yourself and the proverb in proverbs 15 says they crush the spirit of a person what a responsibility we have to speak well, so that our words can bring life. And words can bless people. Proverbs 25, my father taught me this. I love this verse. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. So let's just get down this truth deeply into our hearts. Our words impact people. But Solomon is telling us that our words also impact ourselves. And that's the meaning here in these verses. Not only our spoken word to other people, but our private words even toward ourselves. Have you ever considered that our thoughts are formed of words? And we are speaking to ourselves constantly. We call it self-talk. All that is is our thought life. I read of a study recently that claimed that we have around 50,000 thoughts a day and 70% of them are negative Can you imagine that? that If that's even nearly true for you, you're speaking to yourself 50,000 times a day, and 70% of them are in the negative. Can you imagine what those seeds of death are producing in your life? Things like, I am hopeless, I'm a failure, I'm never going to get this right. Those are self talk death words. I'll never get married. No one's ever going to love me. I'm going to grow old alone. Those are, those are self talk death words. God makes me so mad. Why is he letting this mess happen to me? It might be honest, and I applaud that, but they cause self-inflicted spiritual death if they're not met with the truth. Are you mastering speaking to your own soul? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Are you reminding yourself to resist the devil and he will flee? That's the self-talk that will put seeds of life in your soul and you're going to bear them out and you will overflow with satisfaction. When I was a teenager in my church, in our youth group, a youth group leader, listen, if you're a youth group leader, you have no idea how powerful you are. You're going to impact students' lives forever. I had a youth group leader teach me something. I've never forgotten it. It's from Psalm 62.5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. And he taught me to speak truth to yourself. Speak to your soul. He taught, don't just listen to yourself, talk to yourself, and speak words of life into your soul. And if you learn the power of your words to others and yourself, you're going to speak life. And the harvest will be abundantly good as, verse 21, you eat its fruits. But how do you apply this? And that's how I'm going to end. I'm going to give you four simple ways. There's thousands, I think. Of ways to apply this, but I'm just gonna give you four. They're nothing complicated and they're actually rather simple, but I wanna talk you through them for a little bit. First, plant well, harvest well. If you can remember those four words and put it on a card, put it on the dash of your car, put it on the mirror of your sink, over your sink, Put it on your kitchen cap. Put it wherever in your cubicle at work. Just write it down somewhere and keep it constantly in front of you. Plant well, harvest well. If you plant seeds of life into the souls and the hearts of the people around you, you're going to harvest a great abundance of fruit. And that is going to be overflowing satisfaction in your life. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That was week number two in this series. Whatever you plant in the soil of your heart, that's the kind of crops you're going to produce. And I want you to get from being passive to active. You can be intentional about this. You don't just need to weather the storm and just take whatever gets planted in your heart. You can reject the wrong seeds, and you can put the right seeds in. And the way that you do that is to read and to memorize and hide the Word of God in your heart. That's how you plant the right seeds. You remove the seeds of weeds by negating and putting on mute the voices of the negative people around you. And you might be married to one of them, in all honesty. You've got to mute their negativity by putting seeds of the gospel into your heart. This is what God says, and it's going to be a lot more volume than what your spouse says or your parent says or your child says or your boss says. If you want seeds of life into you, you better examine the music that you listen to because that's one of the wide open, unfettered accesses to seeds in our hearts. And if you're listening to music and you're not examining the word and then choosing to turn off the bad and turn up the good, then you're allowing a harvest of death to be planted in your heart. And don't be surprised when that starts coming out in your moral behavior. That's the harvest you're going to produce. If you're watching perverse movies or TV shows and just they're constantly coming in and you're binge watching the, the wrong stuff, it's going to yield a crop of death in your life. You're going to be easily discouraged. You're going to have profanity coming out of your mouth. You're going to have sexual stuff coming out of your heart. You're putting the wrong seeds in there and you can change that. In fact, Philippians 4 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, that's what you think about. That's how you plant the seeds in there. Now, I'm probably going to shock some of you. I wouldn't have ever admitted this years ago in a different church that I was pastoring. I don't think that church could have handled it. I think you can. I don't always listen to Christian music, <gasps> gasp and faints all over the sanctuary. But you know what I do do, those two words should probably never go together <laughs> in a sermon, but what I do habitually is I listen to the words, and I'm going to tell you just flat-out honestly. I can almost never make it through a whole country song without turning the station. It's some of the most perverse music, I think, on the radio waves. I listen to mo- almost all music from, that ended in the 80s, you know, when there were real musicians. <laughs> and even those songs, I'm constantly turning off. And I'm going back to the word FM, and then going from 88.9 to 88.7 every 100 yards because of static. <laughs> But listen, I want to put the right seeds in my heart. And I can control what seeds are allowed in that soil. And you can too. And you need to be intentional about that. And it doesn't matter what age you're at. So the first thing I'm going to tell you is plant well, harvest well. And I hope you write that down and put it in front of your eyes every day. I'm going to tell you the second thing. And this is absolutely exhilaratingly freeing. When you learn to master this discipline, take snapshots of your self-talk. They call it the, wheel, the wagon wheel effect. You've seen it on a bed looking up at your ceiling fan, and every once in a while when you try real hard, it's almost like you do a freeze frame on one of the fan wings, right? You can see it, whereas normally it's a blur. That's the wagon wheel effect. You can take a snapshot of your thoughts, of your self-talk, and here's how you do it. You stop for a minute. You go at work. You go to the bathroom. You take a break. You get a cup of coffee, and you just review, what have I been saying to myself? the last hour, and you're going to find just how many death seeds you're speaking to yourself and you're putting in your, your own soil of your heart. And you can start changing what seeds are allowed in there so that it produces a harvest where you're going to love to eat its fruit and it's going to create overflowing satisfaction in your life. Now I'm going to tell you how this works. It was not too long ago that I was really struggling, emotionally struggling, over something that was happening in my own family. And I'm getting angrier and angrier, and I am determined, I am gonna let that person know about this, and here's the words I'm gonna say when all of a sudden, snapshot moment by the power of the Holy Spirit. What on earth am I doing? I am planting seeds of death in my own heart. And if that is allowed to grow into a harvest, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to ruin my relationship. I'm going to damage it. Then I'm going to take years to recover from. So I have got to arrest my thinking, do what the Bible says, and take it captive and start putting the right seeds. You know what the right seeds were? God's in control. God is good we will weather this storm, look at all the good stuff in our family, look at all the good stuff in that particular person in my family. I love that person. I'm going to speak life, and it's my choice to do it. That's a snapshot moment. And those strong emotions, listen, learn to master the moment. If you've got a lot of strong emotions going on, those make your thoughts buoyant. They make them pop up to the surface. That's the most easily you're ever going to read your self-talk is when you've got emotions pushing them up to the surface. Those are the moments that you need to take that snapshot and go, what was I just thinking? What was I just putting into the soil of my heart? Your boss tells you he needs to meet with you tomorrow. Well, the rest of that day, that night, the following morning, you're imagining how poorly this is going to go. You're working on preparing your defenses, and, and soon you're mentally writing your resignation letter. This is what happens. And those are seeds of death. And likely not even the reality. And all the while, a galaxy of thoughts are swirling in your heart, and you're bringing destruction to your life rather than hope and peace and godliness because your thoughts are unfettered. You're letting them be like foxes that are ruining the vineyard, Song of Solomon 2.15. You've got to catch the foxes, and you've got to get them out of the vineyard. You take a snapshot of them, you confront them, and then you speak God's truth into your mind. So the first thing I told you is plant well, harvest well. The second thing, learn to take snapshots of your self-talk. You can do these things. They're not beyond anybody's grasp. But you won't do them unless you intentionally work on it. Third of four, filter all your words through the lens of grace and peace. Filter all your words Through the lens of grace and peace. Are the words that I'm speaking to that person or to myself, are they graciously true? And will they bring peace? If not, you don't speak them. Even confrontation has as its goal peace. And if peace is not the trajectory for towards which your words are moving, don't speak them. They're not of God. Always remember we speak through our mouths, through our thoughts. We even speak through our keyboards on our phones and our laptops on Facebook and Instagram. And there's a reason the apostle Paul began almost all of his letters with grace to you in peace. You must, your words, my words, must be given grace to people and peace. He never inverts that, by the way. He never once says, peace to you and grace, because peace is not possible until grace works. If you want peace, you gotta have grace. And as you speak to other people, grace and peace, no matter what their response is gonna be, the Spirit of God will flood your heart with satisfaction. And we speak the same way to our own selves. And we will see God as more loving than ever before. And we will have satisfaction overflowing in our lives. So I've told you three things so far. First one was plant well, harvest well. The second one was take snapshots of your self-talk. And the third was filter all your words through the lens of grace and peace. Let me just give you one more. And there are so many. There's nearly limitless from the Bible itself. Let me just give you one more. Make it your goal each day to honor at least one person with your words. That's really not a difficult goal, but for some of us, it sure seems to be. Make it your goal each day to honor at least one person with your words. But let me tell you what the word honor means biblically. In the Hebrew, it literally means, Greek as well, wait. And weight in the Bible was always value. So they had the scales with the two platforms, one on either side and a fulcrum in the middle, and you would put your, your uh, weight, your value weight here, and then you would put your bag of whatever, grain usually, on this side, and that's how they determined how much you had to pay for that grain. So to honor somebody is to recognize how weighted they are, how valuable they are to your life. So make it your day, make it your goal each day to communicate to somebody, you've made an impact in my life. You're important to me. You have value to me, and here's how. And what I would do if I were you is I would move through that person to God. If you want to honor people in a way that brings glory to God, you recognize that God put that person in your life. God's the one that gets the credit, and this person gets the honor. I would encourage you some day this week, and the earlier in the week, the better, because you're going to forget if you don't. Take a tally and see if your compliments outweigh your corrections and your criticisms. That might be painful. See if your compliments outweigh your corrections and your criticisms. That might be very, very eye-opening. Examine your seeds you plant into another's life and know that you're going to produce a harvest and it's going to be either a harvest of life or a harvest of death. Here's the four things again, plant well, harvest well, take snapshots of your self-talk, filter all your words through the lens of grace and peace and make it your goal each day to honor at least one person with your words. Wouldn't that be an amazing life change? if we actually live this way. Your life will overflow with satisfaction. And that was the aim of Solomon, to encourage us. You want joy in your life? You want peace? You want satisfaction? Then speak in a way that's going to plant seeds of life into the soils of the hearts around you and yourself included. Amen?